Hey everybody, this is Afim Shapiro. I produce Sex Lives. Before we start the show this week, I want to let you know that in two weeks, we're going to have a sex coach in the studio. Her name is Maisha Battle, and she is willing to do sex coaching for you, for Sex Lives listeners. All you have to do is call in. You can be anonymous. We don't have to play your message on the air. Or we can actually hook you up with a sex coaching session via Skype. We'll record it and play it as part of the show. It's up to you. Uh, so sex coach, Maisha Battle, on the show in two weeks, dealing with your problems, with your aspirations, with your trepidations, with your masturbations, whatever you want to do. Give us a call, 646-494-3590. 646-494-3590. That's the Sex Lives voice message line. All right, let's get to the show. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives. I'm Maureen O'Connor and this week here to discuss gay wedding etiquette and the sexual politics of getting engaged, getting married while gay, we have Ben Reinega. Hello, Ben. Hi. Ben is the editor-in-chief at Vocative, and you may remember him from a Sex Lives episode called A Sloppy Night with Mike Pence, which maybe will be Amazing. the theme for your bachelor party. <laughs> yeah, I can only hope. <laughs> and we're also joined by Marcy Bianco. Marcy is a contributing editor at Curve and the managing editor at the Clayman Institute for Gender and Research at Stanford University. And after eloping with her girlfriend, she wrote an essay called I Got Married and Didn't Tell My Mother. Hello, Marcy. Hi. Finally, the third member of this panel is the man who kind of inspired this episode. It's my friend Kurt Soller. And you know this is happening because of you, right, Kurt? No, I had no idea. <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> Kurt is the features editor at Bon Appetit magazine. And basically, I know your wedding is going to be really delicious. And you've really been stalling out on your planning process, having been engaged for a year. And I really want to get this moving. Uh, no pressure. Everyone else yes. does, too. Yeah. <laughs> so all three of you are either engaged or recently married. Growing up, did you envision yourselves as having a spouse or being married? I don't think I thought much about it. I certainly wasn't cognizant of being gay when I was 11 in a way that would yeah. keep me from imagining myself being married. But I uh, I also can't recall having particular, ex like it wasn't something I looked forward to. I don't know. That might just I, I think, be a boy I think thing. not really. I think I didn't really imagine myself getting married is the closest answer. What about you, Marcy? Uh, very definitively, no. I never, I mean, in all of my, throughout all of my childhood, I cannot recall once thinking about what that would be like. In fact, whenever I would attend weddings of like aunts or uncles, it would give me such profound anxiety as like a five-year-old because I knew that that just wasn't, I, I don't think there was any kind of recognition of a, a kind of queerness or a, a lesbianness to me yet, but I just felt such anxiety when I was inside a church because I'm an atheist. And I knew that mm -hmm. actually before I think anything else that I was inside of a church and that I was watching a man and a woman get married. And that made me very anxious because I did not want that to be my future. And that's what I knew, but I didn't know anything else. 
Did you ever think about weddings or marriage, Kurt? No. I mean, I went to Catholic high school, even though I'm not Catholic, which was this sort of funny <laughs> thing where I was like, oh, marriage is for straight people. And then when I was, you know, in my 20s and my late teens and dating the kind of people that I thought I would want to spend my life with, that was at the time when gay marriage was this huge political debate. Mm-hmm. And so you sort of were, you know, that's for them. I have my own thing. I get to be sort of outside the mainstream in this delightful way. So when marriage did become legal, it was like, oh, okay, well, are we doing this? Like, is this something that I yeah. feel like I need to like, yeah. like, am I selling out in a way by participating in this institution that I never even really knew I wanted? You write about that dilemma, Marcy, about, I mean, you got married right when the marriage equality debate was kind of at its peak in a way. Yeah. Shortly, yeah. shortly before the Supreme Court decision, right? Yeah. So we got married on March 31st, 2015. And it really wasn't planned. I mean, it's, it's so weird because it feels like now when I reflect on it, none of it felt really planned at all. I mean, I'm surprised that we managed to get the 25 bucks and two of our closest friends down the city, (laughs) down the city (laughs) hall. Um, I literally took a break from work that day and I, I worked in the morning. I remember working until noon and then like heading there with my wife and meeting our two friends down there. Well, you wrote that about that in your essay about getting married and not telling your mother was, <laughs> did you guys do a proposal? Like, did someone <laughs> propose to someone? I, you know, I admittedly did the work. I need to propose to my wife all over again because <laughs> I was, so here's the thing. She made it very vocal to me that she was proposed to twice before. Oh. And she turned both women down. Whoa. All right. And they were together for like, these were like long 10 year relationships on, uh, you know, both of them. So oh, wow. that was a lot of pressure That's for me. Bar to clear, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to handle this? So I handled it in the only way that an emotional Italian could handle it was by becoming a, like a blubbery mess. And I was crying <laughs> all like water was just pouring out of everything. And I was shaking and I had this down on the bed and she thought I was literally having a heart attack. <laughs> and I, it was the most embarrassing, the worst proposal of all time. I absolutely admit to that. And, um, it, you know, I, she knew I felt really anxious and I just kind of like sat her down on the bed and then started crying all over the place. And I managed to get out the words. And I remember her pausing, like, really thinking about it for a couple of guys. And then, you know, she crinkled a smile and said yes. And then that was really cute. And I don't remember the rest because I think I had so much anxiety about that moment. So it wasn't really the most romantic of engagements. It wasn't like, I don't know how people do this big planned thing and not feel like their whole life is going to change in a matter of moments. I just broke down. So it sounds like your proposal was literally the first time you proposed the idea, or was it? (laughs) Well, we had talked generally. Um, But it wasn't like uh, you, okay, we're going to get married. One of these days I'm going to pop the question and hand you an expensive item of jewelry. No. Oh, God, no. And that was the other thing I knew about. No, no, no. And it's very, so here's the thing, like, it's very particular to the person you're dating. So like, yeah, my wife hates gifts, like she hates them. So the idea of giving her a ring, like I bought a little like cheap ring that I knew she would not like, because that's just the way that it is, and that we would return it and that we would get proper rings together. So we actually Mm -hmm. went to a gay jeweler after the fact, and he made us our rings. And that was really special and really great. So there was no kind of planning. And I, I, I wonder if 
if we planned it more together, the proposal would have turned out differently. But at the end of the day, the proposal doesn't matter as much as the actual marriage itself. Yeah. It's strange that the engagement ring is always the really expensive one, too, in for most like hetero couples, at least. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. These people like my brother got engaged and gave his now wife this ginormous ring. And he, I think he's still making payments. I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. God. <laughs> well, traditionally, it's supposed to be you proving to your future wife that you're a financially solvent human being. There's all sorts of uh, old timey straight rules about how it's supposed to be. Yeah. Worth 10 months well, salary right. or something That's, like that. I mean, it's, right. And symbolically, it's possession, right? I am giving you this ring and therefore you are a possession of mine. Yeah. It's like and it's also just really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Oh, Kurt. You guys did rings when you proposed, we, right, Ben? We did not. Our, oh. our proposal in a certain way is a little bit the opposite because we had been dating for so long, uh, eight years or something at that point. And it had been something that we had been joking about since Ian and I met and dated for two weeks and we're like, we're in love with each other. We're probably going to get married, but I'm Mm -hmm. 20 years old, so it doesn't make sense to do that right at this minute. (laughs) It had sort of always been, we had like a baby name joke from like before our first anniversary. Uh, Wait, what's the name? Oh, well, I can't Can you tell, tell us? You, you have to keep no, it a secret so I don't steal no. your baby. Someone else already stole it, so uh, we get we're we're back to the drawing board. But That's why you should never yeah. name your kids before you have them. <laughs> exactly. Uh, count your chickens, name your kids. I just did it on an anniversary. I just got him a little framed picture of the two of us. Uh, that's kind of cute. It sits on our bedside table. I mean, I didn't tell friends or like not even a lot of people knew that I was planning it. I kind of just like went and got the picture and yeah. did it over dinner. What makes it a proposal then, exactly? Well, we've thought about that a lot because now it's been three years and we're not uh, <laughs> married. So in in one sense, it's our relationship has just continued. In, I mean, in, in almost all senses, our relationship has just continued. And we just had like one conversation over dinner one night three years ago. I will say there's an external value to it. Like, mm-hmm. I find myself telling people that I'm engaged in particular contexts particularly because it sort of indicates the seriousness of the relationship. If I say, like, my boyfriend... I don't know. That could mean someone that I've been dating for six weeks and we're not technically married, but we've now been together for like 11 years. And if I'm trying to indicate the seriousness or have someone take the relationship seriously to say fiance sort of makes it matter a little more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similarly, like in work contexts, people think you're a grown up if you're engaged. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm dead serious, though. If you bring it up in like a job interview, (laughs) your prospective salary like goes up 10 percent. (laughs) <laughs> I downplay the language, though. Like, I hate, for whatever reason, I just hate the word fiancé, and it feels like it's such a temporary term. So, hmm. though mm-hmm. I've been engaged for a year... <laughs> maybe not temporary, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's permanent. Though I've been engaged for a year and have made very little headway on planning the wedding that Maureen hopes she's invited to. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I, it feels so strange to not just say, you know... Tony, his name, or my partner, like my person, like I find like the word boyfriend feels a little juvenile, but the word fiance does to me too as well. That's funny. I feel like I don't want to be anyone's wife, but being someone's fiance sounds kind of like fun. Oh, that's just because you love the novelty of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's just because I've never been one. (laughs) Gendered to me in this weird way. I don't know. I feel maybe this is NPC, but it feels weird calling this guy that I live with my fiance. Mm, boyfriend but it's the way you notice the, it's actually the way the word sounds yeah. fiance right like there's a kind of smoothness and very feminine quality to the, huh. well, to it's the a word french word with an e yeah it's kind of fancy <laughs> <laughs> i remember kurt you, you could had say my this, betrothed 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds inherently terrible. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, like someone's going to die of TB pretty soon thereafter. I remember you having the dilemma of who was supposed to propose to whom, um, which is the dilemma that you sort of point out that as soon as you take even one step away from being exactly in this sort of ridiculous, archaic tradition, all of a sudden it's like every single thing is up for grabs of who proposes to whom, how you do it, in what order, and that sort of thing. How did you guys end up? I remember you initially thought you were going to propose to Tony. Yeah, we were on vacation, you and me, Maureen, and I remember we were talking about this as if we were, you know, I was going to plan something. We had been together like three or four years at the time. You know, it sort of felt like it was on me because I'm the kind of person who makes most of our other plans. Like, mm-hmm. just in the relationship, I'm the more planner, too, of the type. Uh, and then, you know, I didn't... I Tony and I had talked about getting engaged. We had talked about getting married. We had talked about the idea that if we were to get engaged, it'd be fun to give each other watches. He ended up doing it. Um, so I was surprised. I always thought that I would be the one to do it. We had a really traditional engagement, like, in a hotel room. Like, he got down on one knee. He gave me, like, a box with a piece of jewelry in it. We cried. Mm-hmm. We had a glass of champagne. Like, I had the most, like, hetero gay engagement <laughs> that is possible. But it felt personal and it felt like it was our own just because it's, like, two dudes making it our own sort of moment. Yeah. For all the lack of ceremony in my engagement, just hearing Kurt tell his story, I think that I was surprised, given that we'd been together forever and that we'd talked about it a million times and that it was super low-key, I kind of just, you know, I did not get down on a knee. It was at a restaurant. There was a million people around us. Um, some of whom were kind of obviously listening. It didn't feel that private. Uh, (laughs) But still afterwards, uh, like his reaction, the extent to which he was sad, happy, emotional, Uh running outside to call his mom, did surprise me a little bit in a nice way, but it just sort of spoke to however much we're doing this in a new way. There still is like vestiges of some power or significance invested in the act of it. Sort of the act of proposing still um, felt more significant than I think I thought it was going to. It's trendy, too. I mean, like, I think everyone wants to go to a gay wedding, especially Mm -hmm. when the Supreme Court thing happened. I think a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to go to a gay wedding. It's funny. The (laughs) irony is I have myself never been to a wedding where two gay people got married. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think, like, at that moment, everyone was, like, sort of really bends over backward to be super supportive because it speaks to their political views and their, you know, sort of Mm -hmm. wokeness. Uh, the most pressure I feel is the most traditional pressure, which is whenever I speak to my mom, uh, she asks inevitably, you know, how's the wedding planning going? What are the wedding plans? Yeah. You know, we're going to pay for our own wedding ourselves. So it's not like my mom and my family are super involved in the planning themselves. But she will do this really funny thing where she doesn't, she wants to be like cool mom who's not asking her son when he's finally going to get married. So she'll be like, my sisters were asking me when is the wedding or like a cousin brought it up like she'll never like take credit for just wanting to know she'll put it in the hands of someone else in our family which it's kind of funny it's cute yeah marcy how did your family react to the discovery that you had (laughs) surreptitiously gotten married were they waiting for something to happen or did they even know that this was all going on no at the time no i don't think they did and i and we decided to just make it known on facebook as people do like all of a sudden I'd get a phone call from my mother, like what the, you know, like, <laughs> what's going on? and because Ooh. it was March 31st, she said, is this April fool's like wow. what's going Amazing. on? Right. Cause oh my God. It was the next day. She was really, I think shocked. And then mm-hmm. she was probably hurt. And I think my family didn't know what to do because I have 
I mean, number one, we're not super close. We're getting closer. And I think that's a product of the fact that I am now married to my wife, who's a wonderful person, and she really values family. But I I think they didn't know what to do because for most of my life, I was very much an individual loner by myself, um, independent, never had a partner who I was really connected to. And then all of a sudden I'm married. So I think it was very shocking to them <laughs> to them, mm-hmm. and maybe to some people uh, who I'm, you know, by blood related to, they might have been, you know, kind of frustrated that I didn't include them. So over Christmas time, when we go see my Italian relatives for the night of the seven fishes, they're always like, so when are you having that party? Like they need an actual formal celebration mm, right. in order to really feel like it's, a thing. I mean, they clearly respect us, respect my wife, respect our marriage, but they still want that party. And maybe it's just an Italian thing. I don't know. Do you know. think they just want a party yeah. or is there something about making it official somehow in their minds? I think it's probably also making it official. I right? mean, I respect because- either one, but. <laughs> I think the kind of historical element of it being a social contract um, is felt by everyone. They might not be cognizant of that fact, but yeah, they they want to recognize it. They want to celebrate it. And then it will really have I, I think more of a meaning for them. But the thing is, I've never been close to my family, so I could give mm. a shit less what they think. I mean, I really could. Like, my life yeah. has never been affected by what they think. Um, but it's always, I'm always connected to them, or my relationship becomes closer to them when I am with someone, because inevitably that person wants to be a part of a larger family structure. So it, it's, it's different for me, um, it, I think, in that regard. It sounds like you guys are almost describing a sort of pleasant form of apathy in Mm. the way that you're sort of looking at, (laughs) you're like, we're together and like, okay, we could be married or we could not be. Like, it's a big deal. But at the same time. Yes. Ian and I have a joke about when gay marriage passed in 2012 in New York Mm -hmm. that we like went out to prove to the world that we didn't deserve it. Like that we went out and (laughs) we're such stereotypical, (laughs) messy uh party animal, non-adults, sort of in front of Stonewall, this big sort of orgiastic Mm -hmm. mess of a party that was sort of, you could imagine, like, the conservative being like, exactly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Take this back. (laughs) This is literally is ruining the institution. (laughs) Like, look at these, (laughs) look at these fools. And that's a joke. But there is like a, um, a loss of a counterculture element that was part of gay identity for a really long time. Like, nothing could be less counterculture than having a big wedding with your family and like registering and getting gifts. And, uh, you know, I go listen to these gay activists from a prior generation, the Cleve Joneses and whatever. Mm. And I think (laughs) I always feel like they're like disappointed in me (laughs) for like Cleve Jones is disappointed in my wedding. Uh, he doesn't know me. <laughs> but, I think um, a wedding registry might be the least radical, like yeah, it's literally institution the most on, like, in all of America. <laughs> I, yeah, I, there's no way to have a there's. I cannot <laughs> square my mind around what a wedding that feels good would look like, and therefore, like I can't square my mind around what marriage means to me. Like uh-huh. to me, a proposal is as much a commitment of our love and our relationship from here till the end of time, or whatever, um, as the wedding itself or the marriage itself. And so, I don't like participating in the legal binding element of the institution feels meaningless to me in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. like the proposal to me was the wedding yeah and I think that works but again relationships occur on many levels that occurs on the private Mm -hmm. interpersonal level with you and your partner you know for me and my wife we we have our own relationship and we can define and redefine that dynamic as we grow older together but at the same time our bodies exist in society 
And so we are defined in that society. And I think it was really important to both of us, especially considering her um, immigration status and especially considering just us being two women in the world that we wanted that legal recognition. And I wanted to, you know, make sure that she was safe, that she had a support system, that she had that network here in America that she didn't have. And I, and, and I do think that there is something about a counterculture that is lost, but at the same time, I'm kind of tired of queer people sitting at the margins and crying. And it's like, do you want to be a part of the club or do you not want to be a part of the club? Like, do you want the money? Do you want the benefit? Or do you want to like, what do you want to do? Because you have to decide you actually do. I take a little bit of issue with this in the way that we're saying that marriage is a fundamental part of society, but there are many people, straight, gay, whatever, that go through their lives as fully productive, fully happy members of society without getting married. And there are many people from decades past that have chosen to be in committed relationships, gay, straight, whatever, without getting married. And so I think that there's a way to you know fully benefit from society and be a part of society without having a marriage. And I don't, I'm like, I don't want to, my argument would not be that you need to be married to be like a fully fledged member of society. That concerns me oh, a little God. bit. No one, no one would argue the opposite of that. But I, I think in my, speaking from my own position, being married to my wife, who I know I'm going to be with forever, has it afforded me certain rights and privileges, the same 1138 that everyone has cited for years now, that I wouldn't have had otherwise. But absolutely. I mean, had we both remained two individual people distinct from each other, yes, she would still be successful and beautiful and wonderful. And frankly, you know, I would be, I would be the same or maybe a little less, but (laughs) (laughs) I mean, absolutely. People can be fully functional individuals in society. But again, I I think there was something, and it all comes with the reckoning of the self as a lesbian thinking, do I want to join this institution that is kind of really repulsive to me? Uh, Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel different after you got married? I love calling her my wife. Like, I love it because I feel that makes both very conservative, um, orthodox, heterosexual people and also like radical queer people very uncomfortable. Like, it's been interesting (laughs) to me to see the correlation in um, perspective between the very, again, the very kind of conservative, bigoted um, heterosexuals and the kind of radical queer people who both look at gay marriage like in a very disgusting way. Like, I remember taking stock of who was wishing us well and congratulating us. And it was like, queer like those queer radical people were like giving us the stink eye that we got and it's amazing. yeah i kind of love that yeah it cuts it cuts both ways you can piss <laughs> off everyone <laughs> yeah how many kind of like moments in life are there when taking the most sort of mainstream course of action actually enrages like <laughs> multiple people yeah you're a centrist by just being totally mainstream yeah, yeah. a yeah. radical centrism perhaps yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's sort of a a moment deciding to marry that it sounds like is sort of doubling down of safeguarding yourself because inherently, even if there was no question about whether or not you have the right to marry, choosing to marry is to say, I'm putting my lot with you that like this is we're going to, you know, our our lives and selves will be stress tested by the world and we are the people supporting each other sort of inherently. I mean, I don't actually think that the current administration will make gay marriage illegal, but Mike Pence is the vice president of the United States, one of the most powerful humans living now, which is pretty radically different than, you know, whatever, six months ago Mm -hmm. uh, when we had friendly Joe Biden. (laughs) Uh, And uh, (laughs) 
And it's made me reconsider it, I think, a little bit as something a little bit more of a public and political thing to do because it's also, I mean, you know, that's the the piece of paper that says you're married is like signed by the government. It is, in a mm-hmm. lot of senses, a legal document. And to put two men or two women together on that document, it feels like it has a little more clout, even if it doesn't seem strictly possible that it's going to be taken away from us in the next couple of years. Who in the government signs a... Well, it's not like Donald Trump. It's no. whatever local official presides, I guess, okay. or somebody from the state it's of New It's not like there's some like pretend Andrew Cuomo signature or something. No. I mean, I'm not actually married. I don't know that. It's definitely. Maybe we should ask the woman yeah. who's married. What does it actually look like, Marcy? <laughs> no, there's actually um, so someone done at City Hall who's, and I forget their actual title, some kind of like a justice of the peace signs your but they signs say, your marriage certificate. You know, so there's actually it's so interesting. Um there's a guy down at New York City Hall called Angel Lopez who married me and my wife. And we yeah. actually know like a dozen other lesbian couples who Angel Lopez has married, including Edie Windsor. So we're like, yeah. Angel Lopez marries all the lesbians. <gasps> um, you know, when I think about the Supreme Court, maybe I'm a bit more pessimistic because I I would put, you know, the five dollars in my checking account on the fact that Donald Trump will have three Supreme Court justices um, under his under yeah. his belt while yeah. he's still president. I mean, we already have one and I guarantee he will get another two. And that scares the shit out of me. It really, really does. You know, being a woman for a lot of reasons beyond just gay marriage. Fair. Yeah. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, man. May she, may she live forever. <laughs> um, I don't know. I saw her. She was at Stanford the other month and she looked a little frail. Oh, so. no. <laughs> she can apparently do like 10 real not knee push-ups uh, Every morning. And, and works out with a trainer. Yeah. Um, I, I think she'll outlive us all. But um, that is my that is my optimism. The um, It's funny to hear you talk about the City Hall thing because the main the whenever someone talks about getting married at City Hall, they talk about what an amazing experience it is because you see all kinds of different couples getting married. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like all genders, all races. It is like I think the most magical experience that shows like the democracy of what marriage has become today. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that that would go away is, I think, enough for us all to run down to City Hall right now. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> like, that in itself, I think, is like the radical statement that I'm actually like most excited about rather than, you know, whether me and Tony personally want to participate in that or not. Yeah. Also, marriage is just the beginning of a whole like, host of other rights that are still in jeopardy. You know, the reason Tony and I want to get married is so we can adopt kids. That's like basically impossible in international countries at this point unless you go live there for a long time. A lot of countries where traditionally people adopt kids from... Russia, for se, per se, are very homophobic. Yeah. And it's a state's right for a lot of states where people voted for Trump. So it's not like marriage is the end-all, be-all when it comes to gay rights. It's not like if Tony and I went on a honeymoon in somewhere, a big city in the South, we'd necessarily feel comfortable holding hands. You know, sure. I live in New York City where, you know, I am never targeted for being gay. But marriage is just the beginning of really hard challenges that are in jeopardy under the Trump administration. Totally. I mean, we still, we're right now... I mean, Donald Trump in three months has rolled back LGBT protections for gay federal workers, which is and then those rights are still not enshrined at all in the private sector and, you know, housing discrimination and blah, blah, blah. You could go on and on and on. But uh, equal pay, equal pay, all sorts of things. Yeah. That got dark, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Is going to weddings more fun now that you're, I don't even know. I don't no. have any like thrilling, happy things that is on, to be honest with you. And when you're engaged and you go to weddings, it's terrible because the only thing strangers talk to you about is your own wedding. And then you have to like compare and contrast with the current wedding you're at. And yeah. If you've happened to plan nothing, it's a lot of talking out of your ass about what you would and would yeah. not like to be doing. So I think the moral of the story is everybody should do as Marcy and elope. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you so much for calling in, Marcy. Thank you. Yeah, nice to, um, nice to meet you. Meet you, hang out yeah. with you. Yeah, you this guys, was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Great. Thank, thank you. Thank for you. Us. Yeah. Thank you, Marcy. Bye. Bye. Thanks very much to our guests this week Kurt Soller, Ben Reininga, and Marcy Bianco. As a reminder, in two weeks, we have sex coach Maisha Battle here on the show to do sex coaching with you. Call 646-494-3590 and we'll get you set up for a Sex Lives sex coaching podcast session with Maisha Battle. 646-494-3590. Sex Lives is produced by me, Ifeem Shapiro, hosted by Maureen O'Connor. Thanks to Andy Bowers at Panoply. We'll check you guys out next week. Bye-bye.